You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week, we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in. Hi, this is Vani Estes, your host of Fresh Takes on Tech. Today, we are talking to Katie Sewell of Bowery Farms, a vertical farm company in the Northeast producing leafy grains for over a thousand stores. So Katie, let's uh, welcome and let's jump right in. Tell us about your role at Bowery. It's great to be here, Vani. Thank you for having me. And I am the chief commercial officer of Bowery Farming. And as you said, the largest indoor vertical farming company in the U.S. We're in over a thousand stores. We are serving and supporting the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic region right now. But we are essentially building smart indoor vertical farms close to the communities we serve in a completely controlled environment. So if you can imagine it, we are stacking our crops from floor to ceiling using LED lights, and we are able to grow close to the point of consumption 365 days a year, pesticide-free produce. Excellent. So in this season of the podcast, I'm looking at various methods of production. So I've talked to people about conventional, about organic, about, and now talking to you about indoor and regenerative. And I'm trying to help myself and our listeners kind of understand the differences and the similarities and, and really get a sense of what it is they're getting. Cause we have all these labels, but nobody really knows. So what does that mean? How are we really growing these crops? So let's start with understanding where Bowery sits. Are you certified organic and can indoor be certified organic now? So Bowery is not certified organic, but controlled environment agriculture, and that's actually the term I would use to talk about what we're doing, can be certified organic. In the simplest terms, when you're talking about controlled environment agriculture, you have two main types of processes of growing. One is greenhouses who are using technology, and the other is indoor vertical farming, and that's what Bowery is doing. And with indoor vertical farming, you have many different methods, but kind of the three main methods that are emerging in the marketplace are hydroponics. And that's what we're doing at Bowery. So the the roots are actually nesting in water. And that allows us to stack the trays from floor to ceiling and using the LED lights. And it allows for incredible efficiency and scale. And then there is aeroponics, which is part of indoor vertical farming, where you're spraying the plants. And then there's aquaponics, where you're using fish to provide nutrients in the water. So I saw an older article where the company, this was before you even joined, but it called itself post-organic. So what does that mean and how does that, how do you kind of fit in with how you describe yourselves? And that was a term we used in the earlier days. What we're really focused on is communicating what our value proposition is. We are locally, regionally grown, which means we are incredibly fresh. We get from harvest to shelf in 48, 72 hours. We're pesticide-free. We're growing consistently, right? 365 days a year. So there's incredible certainty in terms of product on shelf. 
We are food safe in terms of SQF certification. Again, we're growing in a completely controlled environment, which means we aren't susceptible to some of the externalities that you might get if you're in traditional farming. And we are all about flavor. And part of that is freshness. Part of that is picking seeds with flavor attributes that we're looking for. But you get this incredibly fresh, vibrant produce from how we're growing it. And that's really what we're focused on in terms of communicating with the customers. And we believe this is a sustainable way to farm as well. We use a fraction of the water versus traditional farming. We're incredibly efficient with our land use. We are taking non-arable land, right? Historically, probably manufacturing sites, warehouses close to cities and converting them into highly productive farms. So we think it is a sustainable way to farm at scale. So how do you communicate pesticide-free to consumers and, and how do you differentiate that from organic We have a 360-degree approach to communication, and we're uh, communicating what we believe to be the right message to the right consumer at the right time. If you look at our packaging, what we know in terms of the immediacy of purchase, pesticide-free is an incredibly important attribute to the consumer. No need to wash is another key claim that we make on packaging. Talking about the locale of where it's grown is important. So those are things that we communicate on the packaging. We will also use other channels. We will use PR to tell the fuller story of how we're growing and what we think the uh, the impact is, not only to consumers, but the communities in which we're supporting. And in a more global level, how we're growing food more efficiently and more sustainably. We were talking a little bit before I started recording just about making room for all these different kinds of growing methods and, and how important that is. But when you think about how you talk to consumers, how do you differentiate between organic and pesticide free? And how do you think consumers hear that? I think it's fair to say there's some confusion right now that people automatically assume that organic means pesticide-free or locally grown, and there's absolutely organic that does fall into that. I think what we're really focused on is telling the Bowery story and that we actually think this is a new category of produce, and that is Bowery and that is controlled environment agriculture for the attributes that I called out earlier. I think you bring up a really important point which is there has to be space and room for multiple solutions to fortifying and strengthening our local regional food systems in a more sustainable way. If you look at some of the stats out there, the amount of food that we're going to have to grow to feed our population that is disproportionately in urban areas is incredibly meaningful. The UN talks about the population will reach 9 to 10 billion people by 2050. I think we have to increase food production by 50% to do that with fewer resources, right? And that means how we think about land use, how we think about biodiversity and seed diversification is another piece about that. How we think about water stewardship. All of these are challenges and opportunities that we have to address through our food system. Climate change is another one, right? What you've seen in the past 12 to 18 months is you can't talk climate change without talking about the impact our food system is having on climate change. I think globally, it's responsible for about 40% of greenhouse gas emissions. 
If you look at food waste, it is a major contributor to climate change because of methane. It's eight times more potent than carbon in terms of the climate. And so there is going to take multiple solutions, a reimagining of our food system to steward our natural resources and the environment in a way that can also serve the health of our people in terms of increased food production. Very well said. So with your particular consumers, what's the most important thing to them when they go to select greens specifically, but kind of produce overall? What, what are they looking for? It actually depends where they are on their shopping journey. And again, if you're kind of looking at what a consumer is considering immediately on shelf when they're looking to make that purchase, pesticide-free, the location of where it was grown, convenience are all important things. What you're starting to see actually kind of when you take a step back at the trend line, and there was a really interesting report that was published as part of Earth Day by a consulting firm called Carney. There is actually a new segment of consumer that's emerging, and they're coining it as the climavore. It's a great articulation of this consumer profile, and it's people who are absolutely starting to make food purchasing decisions based on the impact it will have on the environment. And it's not a zero-sum game, right? It's not, it is how on balance they're making their, their food decisions. So at the end of the day, they're net positive. And what this research is finding is this isn't just a niche consumer group, the climavores. It is a steadily growing consumer movement as there's more and more awareness that our food choices have a direct impact on our environment and climate change. And I think if you look at it demographically, Gen Z is clearly leading this trend, but even 18 to 44 year olds are two times as likely to consider purchases that they know have a positive impact on the environment. So I think that is a trend that is continuing to build. I also think there's more of an openness to technology and the role that it can play in our food system. I give a lot of credit to the alternative proteins on that, right? Where folks are understanding if, te if technology is applied in a way that is good for the environment and that is healthy for them, they are much more open, consumers are, to that as a solution to food innovation than I would say they were even 10 years ago. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I think a lot of it could be contributed to attributed to COVID as well, where, you know, we're all we know so much more about viruses and about vaccines and, you know, all of those types of things where technology has played such a big role. And I think people are especially younger people are a little more open to how can this help us in other areas? That's right. Particularly if they see it doing something positive. Yeah, for the environment and for themselves and for their community. I've talked to other vertical farms about this as well. And there's so many positive attributes about growing in a vertical farm. But do you think, I mean, do you lead with the fact that it's grown indoors? Is that important to tell people it's grown indoors or it's more important to let people know it's pesticide free and you're using less water and less land? Like, I just wonder if there's ever any pushback where people say, oh, that's not natural or something about growing indoors. So how, how do you handle the indoor part? I think we're, first of all, we don't shy away from it, but I think it's very important that you're talking the benefits first, and then you can talk 
the how you get to the benefit or the why you get to the benefit. So the benefit of growing indoors is definitely where we focus first and foremost from a consumer perspective. And we want to be very authentic and transparent, right? That's another place where you build credibility with consumers. So we very much celebrate the fact that we're grown indoors in a completely controlled environment. We see that as a net positive for sure. Yeah. And that allows for the benefits to happen. But that in its, I mean, just growing inside, that's not the benefit. That's just how you do it. But it's an interesting way on, on how you talk about it. So how you talked a little bit about local and how do you talk about local and what does local mean to you and how far do you ship and at what point does it become not local and how does that work in your branding and story? Yeah, I think we are very much focused on local, regional orientation or definition of what we're doing. So we talk about where we're grown on package and we refer to it as locally grown. And I think, you know, historically we have kept that in a 250 mile radius. But what we're also understanding is you have to meet the retailers where they are, right? And where their distribution centers are to get maximum efficiency out of your network and your farm. So the retailers play a role in how far we would distribute the food. And we're very focused on kind of this idea of local, regional, and getting product as quickly as possible from harvest to shelf, right? And we think there's huge benefit on that as it relates to freshness and consumer experience. But there's also a huge advantage to that in terms of shelf life and reducing waste. So those are areas in addition to figuring out, you know, how many miles we'll ship that we're really focused on because it really is about maximum efficiency with the smallest environmental footprint as possible to optimize for freshness and flavor and food waste reduction. I also think the local definition, there is no standard identity of local, right? So you can talk to multiple retailers, they have their own definition of local. Some states are starting to um, define their definition of local. What local means in the Northeast can be very different than what it means in a state like Texas. So again, I think we're, you know, focused on local regional. We think that's important. We're not trying to build a kind of super farm that feeds across, you know, feeds the U.S. We think the local regional is really important to get closer to the point of consumption. And we're learning a lot about this as we go along. But again, the idea is to maximize the efficiency, to increase sustainability, maximize freshness, flavor, and taste. But how do you see it evolving, you know, with people talking about regenerative and conventional and organic and then indoor. And, you know, if you were to look out a couple of years and, you know, what do you think the shelf is going to look like? I think you are absolutely going to see increased penetration with uh, indoor farming, indoor vertical farming. I know from a Bowery perspective, we are very focused on accelerating our growth across the U.S. So I think I mentioned earlier, we have a commercial footprint in the tri-state area and the mid-Atlantic region. That's three commercial farms that we have. We have a farm opening up in Texas later this year in Georgia early in 2023. But in two to three years time, we will have a meaningful national footprint. 
So scale and expansion is one thing that we're focused on. And we are focused on expanding our product assortment. So right now we have commercialized lettuces and herbs. We had a limited release of strawberries uh, about a month and a half ago in New York. And we are working through what scaling fruiting crops looks like. But I think we are at just the beginning of the impact that indoor vertical farming can have on produce at large. Uh, We will get beyond lettuces and we will go into produce at large. And I think it will play an increasingly meaningful material role throughout retail in terms of produce broadly. Can you tell us any more about the strawberry program since you mentioned that? Would you... Will houses have to be set up differently? Can you grow lettuce and strawberries in the same place or how is that going to work rolling out? Yeah, so strawberries has been a fantastic kind of development for us. And I think one of the things that we're super excited about with strawberries is the flavor profile that you can hit, right? It's kind of the quintessential fruit People know a great strawberry when they taste it. It's highly seasonable. It can be very fickle, right, in terms of the quality that you bring home from the store. It tends to have to use a lot of pesticides just to withstand the growing conditions and the long-haul travel. So for a lot of reasons, strawberries was a place that we were very keen in dialing in and developing the right growth system for it. Uh, The other thing that's fantastic about what we're doing is how we can play with genetic diversity, right? So in this first launch, we probably experimented with 25 different seeds or cultivars from a strawberry perspective. And we landed on two very different in terms of flavor, look, texture, and we were able to grow them in close proximity to each other because we can vary light intensity, water flow, airflow. And so we can really customize a recipe for a very specific seed to get the flavor profile we want. And now what we're understanding is, yes, we'll be able to grow strawberries in and quote unquote, the same space as lettuces, but they will need a different type of growing structure because of the physiology of the plant, right? And so we're working through what the commercial scaling of that growing process looks like. In February of this year, we actually made our first acquisition of a company called Traptic. They have an automated hand harvesting machine that they've created that actually picks strawberries. And they've got some incredible 3D visioning capacity and capability. So we will be integrating and we are integrating the Traptic technology both the hardware piece of it and the 3D visioning piece of it to continue to understand how we're scaling strawberries more quickly at Bowery. And then we will also use some of that technology for a broader set of crops as well. Yeah, I think strawberries, the work in strawberries is so exciting because just being able to have really great strawberries that haven't traveled very far all year round, that's going to be a huge hit, I would guess. So what do you think retailers can do, even the industry, you know, what can be done in way to make these choices more understandable to consumers and kind of clear up some of this confusion? I think retailers play a really big role here. And again, if you look at the value proposition of controlled environment agriculture, one of the things that we're very focused on, and we've talked about the consumer value proposition, but there's two other kind of key 
benefits to what we're talking about. One is we are completely vertically integrated, right? So when you look at our supply chain at Bowery, you can go from seeding to germination, to growing, to harvesting, to pack in one location with complete transparency. That is something that is very interesting to retailers. And then we've talked about the food safety component of growing in a controlled environment, agriculture. That is another thing. And then you're talking about surety of supply, right? And as we're increasingly facing a more uncertain, volatile world, whether that's weather events, whether that's global events, like what's happening in the Ukraine, there's a real sense we want to have more sovereignty and control of our local regional food production, right? It is a security issue. And I think retailers are more and more starting to understand that and understanding that CEA is not just kind of this niche premium category, but over time will play a more and more important role in the overall supply chain as it relates to fresh produce. And so I think for retailers to continue to invest in the category today for not only today, but tomorrow is really important. And this idea that it is a category that we're creating which means it's not going to be just one or two brands that will define this category and build and grow this category, um, but having real vision and partnership with them on what this new category of produce looks like and investing in it is going to be important. Mm-hmm. So you recently raised a 300 million round. Congratulations for that, which brings you close to 750 million that's been raised. What are Bowery's expansion plans? You talked a little bit about a, a few new um, sites that you're building, but what are you doing over the next five years? It's three things where a disproportionate amount of the investment will go. One is scaling and scaling the farms quickly to have a meaningful presence across the U.S. It is absolute an absolute focus on product innovation. Again, we are looking to play in a big set of the produce category beyond leafy greens and herbs. And the third piece is talent and development of talent. And if you, Barry is absolutely one of the most multidisciplinary companies I've ever worked for. You have ag scientists working with software engineers, working with hardware engineers, working on robotics, you have marketing sales, you have engineers at the farm. So there's just this amazing multidisciplinary aspect to what we're doing to create something at scale for the first time and bringing in the best possible talent, investing in the talent of the future. We've had lots of conversations as we look at land-grant schools and we look at ag programs there. There is a place um, to start building curriculum and career pathing for controlled environment agriculture as we chart this next phase of the industry. And it seems like in just the the schools and the operations I've talked to is that it's actually getting a little easier to attract some of this talent into agriculture because that generation, as you were talking about, you know, skews younger that they really care about their food and maybe they're computer scientists, but they would really love to work on something that, you know, makes the world a better place and has to do with the food that they eat. That's absolutely it. So if you polled anyone at Bowery, one of the first things they will tell you why they came to Bowery was the mission of the company. 
and the fact that we are looking to grow food for more people, increase access to healthier foods in a way that's good for the planet, that people are looking for purpose, right? And mission. And you combine that with the innovation and technological aspects that's being applied in agriculture. And I think you're getting a huge level of interest from many folks across many different generations and walks of life, but it is absolutely an exciting time um, to be in agriculture. We have real opportunity to solve some really hard challenges that are going to have a tremendous impact. So speaking of talent, uh, I'm just curious about your background when I looked you up. So you've been three years at Bowery and then you were around 15 years at Starbucks. So what attracted you specifically to Bowery and to this industry? It was first and foremost, the mission. I have always been values driven and cultural culture driven. And that was what took me to start in the first place. You know, Howard Schultz was definitely ahead of his time when he was talking many years ago about the triple bottom line or companies doing good while they're growing a business. And when I first started to connect and talk with Irving Fain, who's my CEO and founder of Bowery, when I heard him talk about the type of company he wanted to build, the culture he wanted to build, the impact, the positive impact he wanted to have. I couldn't walk away. I just kept having conversation after conversation with him. And then you combine that with the type of people he was attracting throughout the organization. It just became clear to me that this was a very special opportunity in a special place. And so my husband and I decided that we were going to go for it, that we were going to uproot our family. I have two kids, a daughter who's 15 and a son who's 13, who were born and raised in Seattle. We loved Seattle, but we decided that this would have been one of those opportunities that if we didn't take it, we would have asked what if. And so the whole family leaned in and we've been on the East Coast and I've been with Bowery ever since. Yeah, I think that, I mean, your personal story is a a great example of the talent attracting into the industry. And it's, there's a lot of conversation about that in the, the, you know, the more conventional parts of the produce industry is how do we keep attracting good talent and bringing new ideas in? I think you're a great example of that. So I have one last question for you. So what are three things that you want listeners to know about Bowery Farms? I'll bring it all back to the consumer. I think I am super excited about the quality and flavor of our product because at the end of the day, if people don't want to eat and don't thoroughly enjoy what we're growing, it doesn't matter. So it's wildly vibrant and flavorful. It's sustainable. And I do think it's a key solution um, to how we'll strengthen and fortify our local regional food systems moving forward. And for right now, it's available in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. You can find us in a variety of retailers from Whole Foods to Acme, Safeway, Giant, e-commerce players like Amazon with an eye toward being able to get us in the next couple of years here throughout the country. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I will hopefully get to visit you soon. (laughs) An open invitation anytime, Bonnie. And I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. 
This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in.